If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Special guest this week. As you know, I talk about football mostly, but I want to get into baseball with a friend of mine who just completed one of the great contracts in baseball this year. That for Justin Turner returning to the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'll get into how we know each other and our current association, but I want to introduce to the podcast baseball agent extraordinaire, Greg Gensky. Greg, welcome to the Business of Sports podcast. Thank you very much, Andrew. Great to be here. Great to catch up with you. Greg and I have known each other a long time. Just some quick, I'll let you expound any any way you want on our associations in the past. Obviously, uh, I was an agent for many years while Greg was an agent. I was primarily football, Greg primarily baseball, and we have a mutual friend who has endowed the program I run at Villanova named Jeff Morad, and Greg and Jeff were partners back in the day. And here we are where we're partners together. I'm advising Vayner football, and Greg is running Vayner baseball, Vayner sports led by Gary V. As you know, I'm Gary Vaynerchuk. So what I miss, Greg, we got a lot in common. I, I don't I don't think you missed anything. Yeah, we, we have a lot in common where we've both had long careers in the relatively small sports world. Your emphasis primarily football. I did a little of that, but as you mentioned, mostly baseball. And you know, we, have, we both have a, a wonderful good friend in common in Jeff Morad, who's uh, been a mentor for me over the last 20 years or so. Um, it, it's actually really exciting for me uh, to be able to work together a little bit now on the Vayner side as we're looking to do something truly different in the space. And I think we're off to a great start. Yeah, I'll start there. What I know what brought me to Vayner is someone who was looking for an agency that was a bit of a disruptor in the industry, as I've called them. You had a successful practice on your own. What brought you to Vayner Sports recently? This, uh, you know, for me, this this new venture in the sports agent world, you know, my, my previous company, Legacy Sports Group, Right. You know, was was a wonderful experience and one of the bigger, one of the more successful agencies in sports, certainly in baseball, uh, was a great experience. But I, I took over that agency when I was 31 years old and I learned everything on the fly. Everything was frantic. Uh, I've been really fortunate in, in being able to do billions of dollars in contracts, uh, run an agency, run a business. I learned a lot. Um, this opportunity for me was a chance to take all of that collective knowledge uh, and to really do things the right way every step of the way. Uh, and I, what I mean by that is a way that's really focused on the fundamental goals of any agency, which is representing athletes, educating athletes, um, helping them develop as people, as uh, business people, as entrepreneurs, and as athletes. Um, and so being able to really do things the right way. And so for me, that was first partnering with Tom Hicks uh, and then partnering with Vayner, uh, with Gary and AJ, uh, yourself and the rest of the crew. And just surrounding myself with people who are like-minded uh, as I am, who have a, a real sense of focus on the integrity of the business, doing things the right way, and always putting our client first and emphasizing education. Um, certainly, uh, as you and I know, the, the, the fundamental thing that we do is negotiate great deals. And so the focus on really doing precedent-setting deals remains to be the same. Uh, but I, I don't feel like I've ever had more fun in the agent business, and I haven't had more fun working with uh, anybody than the partners I have today. 
Yeah, that's great. And speaking of great deals, let's get right to it. You just completed a contract for Justin Turner. I'm going to let you speak to it, Greg, but just some highlights that struck me. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that came back to the team he was with as a free agent, uh, run it back, the big uh, tweet that went out the other day. Um, you know, it just seemed to me that this is a guarantee for a player that's over 36 years old that is unprecedented uh, in terms of $34 million guaranteed over two years. I want you to talk about the signing bonus and talk about the max value and just sort of how you uh, just sort of expound on what came out of the negotiation. And then I may drill a little deeper into how your negotiations went with the, with the rest of the league, too, in terms of dealing with a free agent in this baseball free agency market. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had the privilege of representing Justin Turner for, I don't know, about 15 years, maybe more. And we've known each other even longer than that. And he is, uh, he is a very unique person and, and really a pleasure to work with. And he's very well educated in the business um, and, and very involved. And he's unique also in the sense that he had a very odd trajectory for a superstar baseball player, having been a later round draft pick, traded a couple times in the minor leagues, uh, and then was a utility player non-tendered by the Mets before he wound up in L.A. You know, and that's where the Hollywood story began, if you will. Um, he even hit free agency for the first time at a relatively older age at 32 years old. Uh, and so that brought us into free agency this year where, you know, he is one of those unique players that seems to be getting better with age. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say that as our negotiations were going on over a long period of time, and this was a couple of months, uh, I, I definitely uh, brought up Tom Brady a couple of times and, and how the, the fact that regardless of the length of years we get in a contract for Justin, he'll still be much younger than the MVP winning quarterback um but it, this was a case where i think everybody wondered why he wouldn't just stay with the dodgers right. and um you know and, it, and it's a fair question but as you know andrew being one of the sports business insiders that there's a lot of other considerations that go and play i mean there's obviously a lot of respect and admiration uh for justin with the dodgers and vice versa um but you know we're also dealing with with economics um the dodgers who are up against the, the luxury tax um, Justin being a player who, despite his age, continues to perform at a very high level and all indications are that's going to continue for a while. Uh, and so a lot of other interested teams as well. And, you know, Justin and I felt really from the beginning, it was incumbent upon us uh, to explore all those options uh, to make sure he had a really good understanding of what options aside from the Dodgers might be out there um, and really to, you know, to leave no stone unturned. You know, I, if you would take us inside that in terms of timing, too, because I think a lot of people are listening. They know football free agency, right? Yeah. And at the drop of the gun or the four o'clock, it used to be midnight. Guys are signed up right and left. And then it becomes almost musical chairs like two days in. People are hoping their their seat at the table is not gone and get the money while it's hot and it goes away. Baseball free agency. And I think back to a couple of years ago, even, Greg, where Bryce Harper you know, it took three months or four months. Yeah. He didn't sign the biggest deal ever, but he didn't sign it until February or March. So I guess the question is a guy like Justin Turner that takes a month or whatever it was, five weeks. Why? I mean, why aren't these deals done like football or basketball where it's like the frenzy and then you're off and the rest is like slim pickings for the rest of the players. 
Yeah, it's a great question. And Justin, you know, we were negotiating for over two months. So yeah. that, that is, you know, compared to how things happen frenetically in the NFL or the NBA, that's a long period of time. No question about it. And when I started in the business, you know, I've always represented about 15 free agents a year. And typically with your your more in-demand players, you're expecting to be signed shortly after the winter meetings, which are always the second week in December. So, you know, the, it was always like the plan to try to have your free agents um, settled in new homes uh, before the end of the year. And but we've seen a real change in that. And you brought up Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, that same offseason where you have the the top players in free agency that year signing in March after spring training began. And that that is really bizarre. And it's indication of kind of what's been going on in the game in, in free agency. Number one is that in general, teams are more reluctant to spend money on older players in free agency. And you say, well, Bryce and Manny weren't old. They weren't older. Yeah, but they were looking for contracts that would extend into those outer years. Right. So the, the focus for Major League Baseball teams over the last 10 years has really been, been to concentrate on players who are on the front end uh, of their prime. And, you know, typically they look at the prime being from 27 to 32 or 33 and really focusing on that front end and not get caught spending money on the latter end. So it's translated into really bad market for your middle tier free agents, uh, but yet still really good markets for your top players. Uh, but those players not signing till the very end, you know, and it, it could lead one to speculate. Why are, are they waiting to pull the trigger uh, at some direction from the commissioner office? Is there some sort of collusion at play? I, I don't know the answer to that. And, you know, in my, for my mind, it, it, it doesn't really matter for me. My focus has to be on representing each individual I'm doing in free agency. And in Justin's case, we talked about that from the very beginning, that we were going to exercise patience here. You know, we were going to exercise patience because we knew we had a market um, with several players, a few very serious players, and there were a few people who we viewed as competitive, uh, but there weren't enough competitive options to Justin Turner that, that we felt like we needed to rush in to make a decision. And that, I think, is another thing. I think the commissioner's office preaches to the teams patience in the free agency with the general mm -hmm. perception that players and player agents are going to cave earlier, mm -hmm. um, knowing that they get impatient, they'll be concerned. It's something they certainly use and have used in the arbitration market now for years to great success. And I think you're seeing that trickle into the free agent market as well. And that's why Justin and I, from the outset, said, you know what, we've gotten here to free agency. This may be, you know, one of our last times here, maybe the last time. We're, we're going to be patient. You know, we're going to hold steadfast in, you know, our market value and what our contribution has been to the Dodgers and what it can be to them or another team. You mentioned earlier, I want to pick up on what you said, where other teams, I know you en ended up returning to the Dodgers, but you felt, and I want you, yeah, your words, not mine, you felt other teams were kind of expecting it or you found a softer marketplace than you thought because other teams would say, well, he's probably going to go back to Los Angeles. So you came up against that? Yeah, I did. And so if we go back to his last free agency at 32 yeah. years old, nobody believed that he was going to leave the Dodgers. And, you know, the truth was that our focus was being there, no question about it. And so that, you know, having learned from that experience, one of our initial uh, items on the agenda was to make sure that the interested teams understood that, that he was in a mindset where he could easily leave. If the right opportunity presented itself, he would be willing to move on. Hmm. And what brought you back to the Dodgers? I mean, the obvious answer could be money, but I'm sure it was more than that. It was certainly more than that. And, 
you know, we, what we encountered was a good market, you know, and we ended up with three teams that were heavily interested um, and pretty similar on the financial terms. And I think what it came down to for Justin is that's home. You know, he is a Dodger. He grew up in Southern California, like myself. And uh, having just won a championship, there's that desire to go back to defend that championship and hopefully add a few more. Hey, we'll get back to more with Greg Genske about Justin Turner and baseball economics in a minute. First, a word from DraftKings. It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but it doesn't mean the fun has to wait. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players the chance to cash $100. Bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it, you rein in $100. That's right. All it takes is one three-pointer hit by your chosen team. Turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer. If basketball isn't for you, DraftKings Sportsbook has daily odds on hockey, soccer, and much more. It's paid out over $7 billion since 2012, so they know a thing about big payday. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S. Get your shot at turning $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code ROSS for new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds. Any basketball team to hit a three-point shot. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. Now back to Greg Genske. So let's talk about that deal. Uh, $34 million over two years, which obviously is a $17 million average. One thing I noted in the deal, Greg, and this is something where you see in football deals, but I didn't think really saw it in baseball deals because they're guaranteed. Why do you need it? The signing bonus. Yeah. I believe it was $8 million. So take us behind negotiating that. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. Typically in baseball contracts, we're interested in signing bonus more as a net present value. Uh, function in the deal more more so than uh, as in NFL deals trying to increase the guarantee and trying to spread things out to comply with various rules. Uh, in baseball, it's more of a net present value function. I can think of one exception is our partner now, Vernon Wells. When I negotiated his contract, he was with the the Blue Jays, and I had a twenty five and a half million dollars signing bonus, which was a record in baseball. And that was primarily for tax reasons, Canadian tax issues. Mm. Um, it now today it is incumbent upon us to try to get as much as we can in signing bonus in this COVID era when we don't really know what's going to happen. Mm. What we experienced last year with, with baseball is the loss of regular season games impacts the players completely. In other words, players' compensation, their salary is tied directly into the number of regular season games. At least it was last year. We don't know what's going to happen this year. We're optimistic we're going to play a full season. There won't be a cut. But for, for me, I, I want to ensure that this guarantee is all going to be paid to Justin. So one way to do that is to have more in signing bonus and mitigate against any sort of loss of games uh, during this upcoming season. And how tough was that for the Dodgers to stomach? I'm sure they wanted to just put it all into salary, right? Well, it's a zero-sum game, right? The, the, more, the more we shield Justin from the vulnerability of losing salary due to COVID shutdowns, the more the Dodgers are assuming that responsibility. So it, it's it's certainly it's one of those zero sum negotiating points. It's like the more the more security we give Justin, the less security the, the team has. In other words, they're going to be paying him whether or not he's playing in those regular season games that are tied to the salary. Right. 
and you mentioned last year with COVID, it's, it seems to be where, uh, you know, <laughs> you know better than I do, better than almost anyone. The relationship between the Major League Baseball Players Association and the commissioner's office has not been great. Uh, and that was true last year, where I think a lot of people listening don't even realize that they did not, and you correct me if I'm wrong, they did not reach an agreement. It was an imposed season by the commissioner last year. Uh, and then we can talk about what players made. I think they thought they were going to make a prorated amount. And then the owners are like, no, no, that was only a fans. So it's not prorated. So if you could expound on that and then give us a hint of how, if a player was supposed to make pick a number, $10 million last year, what would that player have made in 2020? Yeah. So there, you may recall, there was an agreement between the PA and the commissioner's office early, early, right. uh, early during the pandemic when it shut down. So there was these initial signs of optimism or reasons for us to be optimistic. That it, and it seemed to be fairly common sense that players would have their salaries, but it'd be prorated based on how many games were played. But it said in front of fans, you know, that was the issue. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the big win and then where the player association did a good job is they said, regardless of how many games are played, players will get a full year of service time, which is obviously essential because this is an accrued rights league where your, your, your right to free agency or salary arbitration escalation is all dependent on your, your service time. So that was a win on the, on the service time. The ambiguity that agreement left was what happens for games that are not in front of fans, which turned out to be all the games that we play. Right. Um, so, you know, at, at the end, there was, there was significant negotiation going on both sides. But the fact that there wasn't an ultimate deal reached despite that point, and, and it would seem to me, and I wasn't directly involved in those negotiations, you have a, you know, you have a divergence of the interests here. You got players whose salary is tied to the regular season. They get a playoff share and all that, but it's relatively small. Their compensation comes from those regular season games. And then you have a league which is deriving the majority of its revenue through the TV contracts right. based on the postseason. Postseason. Right? Right. So you, the obvious thing here is to increase the postseason, that pie, but then protect the players uh, in terms of give, losing money for what they lose in the regular season. So it, it seems like there was a ready solution there, but one was not reached. And, you know, that could, you know, I, I think we can look at that as being, um, kind of a, a symptom of the kind of the distrust and the, the the very tense negotiating that's going on between these sides as they approach the end of the collective bargaining agreement. Right. And as we approach this season, speaking of the last season of the collective bargaining agreement, there's still a lot of uncertainty. Obviously, the virus is not going away and the vaccine is still in process. I guess the question is going into this year, I read the negotiations where the, again, part two of the COVID negotiations between the union and the management, and correct me if I'm wrong, the union has decided to turn down a request to push back the season so that a full season will be played, at least that's the plan, and full pay will be made. Uh, obviously, that's something the owners are giving in on just to avoid uh, any more discord before we get to the CBA. I mean, could the owners have pushed back and say, I'm sorry, we're pushing back the season because we want to get more vaccine, more information about COVID. How did that well, come about? Well, well, certainly. And that's exactly what they did for the right. 2020 season, right? When no agreement was reached, they just imposed it. Okay. This is the system. And the PA viewed it as being very powerful 
in future grievances and future negotiations for that fact that a deal was imposed upon us, we didn't agree. Um, so that so to answer your question, yes. So right now, players are all reporting to spring training camp, camps. They're getting tested for COVID. They're going into quarantine with an eye towards spring training starting as usual and the regular season starting as usual. Now, there's been a lot of speculation. Does Rob Manfred come out and say, well, look, I'm the commissioner and in the interest of safety, absolutely he could do that. And, you know, I'm sure it would not be hard to make an argument that the situation with COVID is so different today uh, than it was last summer. Um, but the expectation right now is they're going to be out there and they're going to play. Um, I do not know if there's been negotiations going on between the Players Association and the commissioner's office on this. And I, I suspect that there really hasn't been much going on. Uh, I think everybody's kind of holding their cards close to the vest and looking to enter into those negotiations over a new CBA that's going to take effect right. in the last several years. Um, but the the environment is, you know, the environment is not a, a very collegial one that you, you would suspect an agreement is forthcoming. Um, so we'll wait and see. Um, but I think right now in the industry, we're all expecting spring training games to start, season to start on time. You know, I wouldn't, I'd be remiss to leave the discussion on COVID in baseball with what happened to the, our client we're talking about now. You're talking about Justin Turner. So last sure. season, they win the World Series. Kudos to Justin and the team. A wonderful, wonderful team effort down in Texas uh, as they were quarantined or they were shut away in Arlington, Texas. Uh, for people, I'm sure everyone's got a recollection of this where Justin was informed late in the game. The, the last game that he had tested positive, he was sent off. He came back for the celebration that became kind of a story in itself. And then there was an investigation and he was cleared of all wrongdoing for that. Um, from an agent point of view, first of all, you know, you can clarify anything I said about the story, but maybe take us inside. What was your role in trying to deal with this, uh, with managing this situation? Yeah, crazy, crazy situation. And so uh, Justin had been involved with all the COVID regulations and obviously had complied with everything, was part of the postseason bu bubble. Justin and his wife, Courtney, were in the bubble, complied with all the rules, complied with everything. And within the bubble, they're obviously around their teammates all the time. And, um, you know, it was... You know, it was not until towards the end of game six that he was pulled from the game and notified that he had tested positive on a previous day uh, for it. And so it was for him and his wife, you know, a rather traumatic experience to get pulled out of the game when you're singularly focused on, you know, the ultimate prize in professional baseball, uh, right. perhaps in sports, winning that World Series. So it was, uh, it was a very traumatic moment. I was in contact with them right away once he was pulled from the game. And I, I mean, I just just shocked by the whole situation. And, uh, you know, what happened after is, you know, it, it, I think it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a indicative of the, the crazy times that we're in with COVID. I don't think anybody really knew what to do under those situations. You know, you have it where he's tested positive. Um, he's been with, but he's with these people he's been around all these days. Um, they're all together. And I don't think, I think people didn't really know how to handle it. And then I think the emotion of winning that championship kind of got the better of, of some of the folks um, around, but, you know, as the, you know, as the commissioner's office, the Dodgers and Justin all said after the fact that there were mistakes made, you know, on the part of all three parties, things could have been handled, should have been handled differently. Um, but just a weird experience. I mean, the, the positive thing is there, there was no further spread. And in fact, Justin's wife, Courtney, never even 
never even got it. Um, so, you know, after that, I'm from the agent side, what my job is, my job is obviously to take care of, of my player and, uh, you know, and, and to make sure that, that there were no negative consequences following, uh, you know, the, the unforeseen events towards the end of that game uh, and to make sure um, that we're on the same page with the commissioner's office and we're on the same page with the Dodgers, um, you know, in, in making sure that we, we celebrate that championship in a great way and that we move forward um, into the future. How much did Justin's life change since last October? Um, you know, there was some negativity right right after uh, winning the World Series, as, as you would suspect, but it blew over pretty quickly. So I don't, I don't think that there was any – I don't really think there's any lingering bad will as a result of that. Um, I really appreciate the commissioner's office taking responsibility, the Dodgers taking responsibility, and Justin standing up and saying, hey, you know what, even, you know, even if I was invited back down on the field, it, I should have exercised better judgment and not gone. Uh, but obviously when you're invited to go back down and – and hold the World Series trophy after you just won it. Uh, I think that's probably uh, a taller task to turn that down than most of us could probably comply with. Um, but I don't think there was any effect uh, negatively. I think the effect is a positive one, and that now he's a world champion, and you know he's 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 even a much bigger hero in in Southern California and in the Los Angeles community. Yeah, and again, I'm now getting back to what the other teams may have been thinking about free agency. It almost seemed a natural to come back, right? I mean, you just win the World Series. There's a lot of positivity of uh, being with the team. Was that, as you approach free agency, and maybe we're covering territory we talked earlier, but was that a priority of his? Now we can say it. And now that he's- I, I'll tell you, the, the priority absolutely was to play for a team that's going to be competing for a World Series championship. No question. There were some teams that had a lot of interest, you know, really came in strong and aggressively that we just let them know, you know, it's not going to work out at this stage in his career. Um, he wants to compete to win. And now that he's had a taste of it, he wants to have a proper celebration on the field following the next championship. So, um, you know, that, that was, that was definitely, uh, one, I think probably the most important item for Justin was have, playing for a team that's got a chance, a real chance to win the world series again. Yeah, my last point, Greg, and this has been great talking about Justin and baseball economics. You know, one thing I talk about so much to my students, everybody wonders, people out there, Twitter message me all the time. Why doesn't baseball have a cap? You know, NHL, NBA, NFL, of course, everyone's got a salary cap. And my my obvious answer is because the owners can't get one because there hasn't been one and try good luck trying to negotiate it. Do you think a non-uncapped system in Major League Baseball has worked well? And I and the reason I ask this, of course, for a team like the Dodgers, it's not going to be an issue. But the lower spending teams, without the minimum cap, without the floor, we talk about the ceiling, also the floor, not being forced to spend a minimum amount. Do you think there's been consequences of that on the negative side for players? Look, the... the Major League Baseball Players Association has long advocated free markets, and I, I fully support that as well. And you're right. There's not a cap in baseball because the owners can't get one because the players are not willing to, to agree to a cap. And, you know, I, I am a, a, a businessman. I, I've run companies and sold companies. And, you know, there is a management function there where it's up to, it's up to us to determine the best allocation of our resources and how much to spend on payroll is a fundamental one in, in the business of team sports. And you see all the time teams who choose to spend less money who have great success. Tampa, Oakland, 
Uh, there's many examples. Cleveland does a great job of that as well. Tons of examples of that. And I even remember, yeah, the Dodgers are a team that spends a lot of money now. But even in the 80s, when I was growing up there and they were winning, they weren't one of your bigger spending teams. And they were still doing it. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's necessary to impose a cap in terms of what is the most amount you can spend on your payroll at all. Um, it, now, it's quite a different question that you brought up a second ago is, well, what about teams that don't spend enough money? Right. That is a question for them among their partners because they do have revenue sharing. You know, they do have a system in place to try to help out less revenue producing markets. In that case, if I were a partner in that system, I would require they spend the money we're giving them on payroll. No question. Is, but there's not a mandate for that, right? I mean, no. that money can be spent on yachts for their family, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I would hope not. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know the answer to that question about exactly what the rules are. I believe there are some restraints on it, uh, but it's a problem that a lot of teams express concern over is that a lot of these teams receiving uh, additional money aren't using it on payroll. And yeah. that's something that we on the player side have been and will continue to try to address. Final question. Um, I get it all the time, and I'm sure you do. So many young people want to get into the business of being an agent. I, you know, and I answer it on the football side. On the baseball side, I, I guess I'd ask you two questions. How has the business of being a baseball agent changed through your many years in the business? And second and last, what would you tell a young person trying to be a baseball agent in terms of the best way to get into the business and be successful? Yeah, I, I get this question all, all, all the time as well, Andrew. Uh, I think primarily because I'm also a law professor at UC Berkeley, so I get it from a lot of my students no. there, students elsewhere who, who will contact me. And, you know, it's interesting. It, you know, since I was in law school and today, it's, it's become way more popular, something that way more people focus on is how do I get in this business? How do I become an agent? And my advice is really simple. It's, you know, I think that during this formative time, uh, whether it's in college, in, in law school, or in graduate school, or in your first jobs, I think the focus needs to be on learning the skills, the, the type of skills that will allow you to perform at a high level when you're lucky enough to have an athlete say they want you to represent them. So I think that's the fundamental thing. And I think that's a point that most a lot of agents forget. You know, our focus is pretty much 70% of the time on trying to get clients to represent uh, but what we need to have is a base of knowledge and experience that allows us to represent those pl players at the highest level. Um, so my focus is always on you know, get, get your education, get your degree, get a graduate degree, um, get work experience that's relevant, that's going to allow you to really excel and, and do great things for the athletes that, that represent you. And I also uh, tell them to get involved. Get involved is particularly in uh, nonprofit or charitable endeavors that are important to athletes things that they're involved in, uh, get involved, try to, try to do good acts the way they're doing good acts that align up with them. Try to increase your, your network of, uh, of professionals and athletes in the sports industry. Thanks so much. That's great advice. Greg, a pleasure to be with you and, uh, I'm jealous as can be For those, <laughs> those not watching, just listening. He is coming to us from Kauai, Hawaii. So, uh, while we're all suffering in this cold, there he is out there. Great to well, be with I, you. Congratulations so much on Justin's deal. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, good luck with the cold weather. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll be surfing. So <laughs> take care. Great interview with Greg Gensky of Vayner Sports talking about the big new deal for Justin Turner going into what happened last year and all the economics going on in baseball last year and this year. Hope you enjoyed it. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports. 
Thanks for following me on Twitter, as always, at Andrew Brandt. Thanks to my musical producer, Sam Brandt, and my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. I have a newsletter now, so sign up. Go to andrew-brandt.com, and you can get a Sunday 7 newsletter every Sunday morning in your inbox. Apple Podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated, and that'll do it. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16.